Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would, get your Bibles open up to the book of uh, Philippians, the epistle of Paul to the Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 1. Well, that's where we're going to start. It's in chapter 1. One thing I think, how many of you guys like when you actually reach a goal? I mean, it doesn't matter if it was a weight loss goal or it was, you know, maybe you had a goal of pain. Once you reach the goal, what do you do then? You reach the goal, high five yourself, you're done, right? Is that what the people who are trying to excel to their greatest, and I'm talking about in the context of in their relationship with Jesus. The concept in Christianity that people tend to find very discouraging, but shouldn't be discouraging, is the fact that every time that you meet a goal, God sets a brand spanking new one for you, and it doesn't stop. You can make great progress over your lifetime. The Lord's still going to convict us as individuals. Because we're fallen, we're always going to have areas in our life where we can improve, areas of our life where we um, can actually be better. Now, I'm going to sit here and say, um, don't listen to what I'm saying when I talk about selling beyond where we are, no matter where we are. You, you get what I'm saying by that, right? The expectation for a brand new Christian is to excel and excel quickly, Right? How much of that expectation have you seen placed on individuals who are mature? Because let me ask you something. If you have, if you're a brand spanking new Christian and you have everything to learn about Christianity, and I'm a Christian who's 34 years old as a Christian, and uh, in the exact same way, what's the difference in your ability to actually excel beyond your limit and my ability to excel beyond my limit? What's the difference? There isn't one. <laughs> there isn't one. It doesn't matter whether you're a person who's a, a week or a month old in Christ, or you're an individual who is 34, 40, 50 years old in Christ. The truth is, no matter where we are, we have to continue to move forward. Progression in our relationship with Christ. The progression in our relationship with Christ is what produces sanctification. That's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit the encouragement for us to repent, the change that happens in our life. It's not like God said, you know, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take the one worst habit of yours. That's the one I'm, we're going to turn some attention towards. We're just, just your worst one. Once your worst one's out of the way, you don't have to worry about it anymore. I won't bug you again. How bad off would most of us still be? And you ever notice that the promise that he would never put allow us to go through more than we could take is, is always true? I mean, he's never put he's never put more on us than we could handle, right? I mean, if you looked over the last, just the amount of time that you've trusted in Jesus, the number of things that he has changed in your life, where would you be right now if those things hadn't changed? 
And where would somebody who's a mature Christian had been if their change wasn't happening in layers, which is, coincidentally, exactly what's supposed to be happening to the person that's a brand new Christian? What do I, what do I mean by in layers? It's the fact that your goals, your achievements, they're not finish lines. They're mile markers. I've seen this, folks, and this is very prominent. I can speak for the Southern Baptist churches. The number of older people that I have heard say, well, I'm just not going to do anything because we need to provide these young people a chance to do it. (laughs) That's actually a backwards reversion. That's not moving forward. That's going backward. And I, as a young person, said, hey, I've got a novel idea. How about instead of you just stop doing, why don't you start doing with? I think I've heard this concept before. Older people teaching older women or younger women, older men teaching younger men. I think I've heard that concept somewhere before. Where have I heard that? It's the book of Titus. It's addressed very clearly. Growing in layers is the way that this is supposed to happen. Now, how do you grow in layers? Part of it's based on your ability to read the book. Some of it is based on the experiences that you're going to have the rest of your life from this point forward. Your experiences are going to change you. The question is, which way are they going to change you? Are they going to drive you to the bottom of a bottle? Or are they going to drive you to the feet of Jesus? The whole point to Philippi, when you read this letter... Philippi was distracted. The Apostle Paul's been imprisoned in Rome. They find out about it. They're a fairly new church, so they're young believers. And you've heard me preach the entire message on the background of Philippians and the fact that the people in Philippi, they were worried about Paul. And there were individuals who were scared because they thought, Paul planted this church, they come for us now. And there were individuals who were not only scared, but angry. Individuals are, Apostle Paul's the best guy on the planet, man. He's never heard of flea. What are they throwing him in jail for? Let's get an army together and go break him out. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on inside this young church. And this was the Apostle Paul's response to them. This was his response to them. And you'll notice in the beginning of this, when we read it, the first thing that he does is encourages them. Not only does he encourage them, but he doesn't expect an outside motion without inside. I I don't want to say pushing, provoking. Because the Apostle Paul knew that he had what he had to teach the people. I don't know if I touched on this before, if this was in a conversation I was having with somebody. How many of you ever asked for strength? Ever ever asked God for strength? Does he just open up a drawer and hand you a handful of strength? Is that what he does? I'm going to tell you something, folks. This is going to change your prayer life, I promise you. Ask God for strength. He's going to expose your weakness. Do you hear me? You ask him for strength, he's going to expose your weakness. He's not just handing strength out. You ask him for patience, guess what he's going to do? Ask him for patience. He's going he's, he's gonna to tell patience. He's going to say, okay, you want more of this? You know what it takes to get more of that. 
And it's usually a lack of it and the fact that we just love running ahead of God and doing everything we want to, right? We ask God for healing. Do we understand the consequences of that? How many of you guys have ever, ever prayed for a loved one uh, to drive safely somewhere? I do it all the time, too. But I want to tell you something, though. We had a lady went to church here, still alive, lives in Potosi, gets here once in a while, uh, by the name of Isabel Arndt. That lady um, came to this church on a regular basis, first probably 12, 15 years that I was here before they, she had to move back to Potosi. She was in a car wreck down here on New Highway 21. She had hydroplaned, slid sideways into, uh, into in the highway, and a crane truck hit her full speed. Broken bones in the teens, uh, internal bleeding. She spends like two months in the hospital going through surgeries, little healings here and there. Two years it takes her to completely recover and get released by the doctors. When she goes to her last meeting to get released by the doctor, the doctor's going through her paperwork, and you know what he found? Cancer. The doctor said, now that we've found it, he said, you'll probably live longer than you want to anyway. He said, if we hadn't found it, you'd have been dead within two years, two more years. So what happens if you prayed for Isabel's safety? Getting in God's way? This is what emotional people do. This is what people who have no self-control do. They get scatterbrained. They begin to worry about things other than the things that should be worried about. It's almost as if we as human beings become more concerned about our comforts than we are about our actual position in our relationship with Jesus, whether that relationship's strong or that relationship's weak. If I was to honestly ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus? I don't want you to answer out loud, but how's your relationship with Jesus? How would you respond to me? I mean, relationships have good days and bad days. Amen? A bad day in a relationship with Jesus, though, whose fault's that? A hundred percent of the time. So look what the Apostle Paul says here. The book of Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. It always jumps out at me when I find something unique in a passage of Scripture that is not universally applied throughout all. Yeah, the Apostle Paul gives greetings every time, right? How many times does he say that this letter is written to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons? Here's the reason. Who's responsible for making sure that a church doesn't go completely scatterbrained? Overseers and deacons, that's their job. Their responsibility is to make sure that it just doesn't go completely scatterbrained. Now, if the church in Philippi got, got scatterbrained, and it was scatterbrained enough for the Apostle Paul to receive word 600 miles away that it was scatterbrained, how good of a job were the leaders doing? So Paul's not saying, I'm saying, typically Paul wrote a letter. It was delivered by one of his delivery people, Timothy, Silas. It could have been any one of them. Um, 
they handed it to who was considered the overseer in the church. The overseer in the church read it to the church. Paul's letters typically were to the church. They didn't include the overseers and deacons. The reason for that is the overseers and deacons are typically the ones that are supposed to be qualified to be able to do that in the first place. It's the people that are in the pews that are the ones typically that are the ones that that, that would be addressed to. Now, when, when he points them out, he points them out specifically because he wants them to pay attention to this too. Now, he says in two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime you've seen the Apostle Paul say grace to you, God's unmerited favor to you. His point in saying that right off the bat was preventing individuals from taking what it was that he was about to say wrong. How many of you guys have ever been in text messages? Can't have, uh, you can't really send emotion in text messages. You can send text messages back and forth, and all of a sudden you start thinking people are saying something with an emotion they're not, and, and they start thinking you're saying something with an emotion you're not. Grace and Grace to you and peace. The Apostle Paul is about to, honestly, just shred these guys. He is. He's about to shred them. He's about to show them right off of the bat in, uh, in the first, second chapter. He's going to show them right off the bat that their base motivation is absolutely wrong. Their base motivation is absolutely wrong. If I come into you because you've done something that to me is wrong... And I run into you and just start railing on you for doing something wrong. What's the difference between that and me actually coming into you and actually saying, hey, look, it's okay. However this turned out, it's okay. We're going to regroup. We're going to take a look at it. We're going to figure out how to fix it. What's the difference between the two? You don't harass people that you appreciate. You don't harass people that you want to keep. You don't harass people that you want to serve. If they're serving, you don't harass them. That's not how you deal with this. Now, are, are people who serve always right? No, they're not. Do they sometimes need to be told that they're not right? Yes, they do. But it means everything how you do it. Making mountains out of molehills don't do it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm about to teach you something that's contrary to the things that you just acted out in this church's life. But I want you to know that God's forgiveness is there and it's already applied. And I also want you to know that you don't need to be scatterbrained about me and you don't need to be scatterbrained about you. You have a reason to live in peace. This is his desire. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. He's not talking about, of course, who gave grace to you? Christ gave me grace, so why is Paul giving grace to you? Because it's not him giving grace to you, it's him wishing for grace for you. I've watched people suffer who didn't deserve to suffer. I've seen it. People who have made mistakes, repented of those mistakes, corrected their path, had the right attitude, and still beat themselves up their entire lifetime over a choice that they made. 
Any pastor on the planet would have this exact same request for all of their church. Grace to you and peace. My goodness, I hope this week when you're walking around in this world and you make one of those inevitable mistakes that we always make, that you can forgive yourself for it. Because if you're scatterbrained and I come at you swinging because of what it is that you're doing, what's going to make the church more productive about that? You don't fix a problem by starting a problem. That's not that's that's counterproductive by definition. Grace to you and peace. Paul's saying, I want you to know that you're forgiven for the scatterbrainedness that you're going through right now, and I also want you to have peace. Don't get scatterbrained. Next verse. Um, verse 3, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm confident that God will complete the work in you. Do you know what that means? When does it say that the work's complete? It's in that verse. Last six words. Until the day of Jesus Christ. God is working on making us perfect. Perfect is nothing. Is something we will never be on this planet, but he's working to make us perfect. We're working towards something. We shouldn't get 50 years old and then decide, I've served enough, I've learned enough, I'm just ready to kick back and relax. That's not a biblical concept. That is not a Christian concept. That's not a Christ-like concept. The concept is, what can I learn today that I didn't know tomorrow? Have you ever tried finding something that you didn't know? Uh, You ever try and find something you didn't know? How many of you guys have used Google anytime in the last 48 hours? We use Google to find out things we don't know, right? And the funny thing is, it's pretty satisfying when you find it, right? I mean, it's almost an art putting those phrases in there, right? You put them phrases in there just right, you get all kinds of what you're looking for. You put them phrases in there just wrong, you get all kinds of things you're not looking for. (laughs) He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. That's a promise that as long as we're individuals who stay committed to Jesus Christ and our relationship with Jesus Christ, sanctification is something that never stops. Learning something that never stops. The application of things is something that never stops. And I can tell you, folks, there are a lot of people, even in churches, just in the 20 years I've been a pastor, people who are mature individuals who have abandoned the faith. Abandoned it. They, they hold to a form of it. People that I would have never dreamt in a million years would abandon it. But they did. 
You guys ever play the shoot the duck game, the carnival? Where the duck's coming by the window and you only got a certain amount of time to shoot him before he actually disappears? Our relationship with Jesus seems to be like that duck game. Like we all wake up in the morning playing the duck game. And we may do everything that we can to try to shoot that duck. But we're really not that tore up if it walks away and we don't get the chance to. You remember the first time you played that game? How hard was the duck to hit? Remember the second time you played that game? You learned how to wait for the duck? You wasn't just shooting blindly at ducks that were flying across they were flying across the screen or across the, the the board. You were actually anticipating a duck to come out and you picked one target and you shot it. How did you get from one point to the next? How'd you become the kid who was just randomly volleying BBs at a bunch of ducks to the one who's actually standing there anticipating the next duck coming out and actually scoped in on that one duck to shoot on it? What is there in life that you haven't learned that way? How many eggs did you burn before you learned how to fry them right? Everything in life is based on this idea of progression in, in, in our knowledge. Now, it's true knowledge is talking about here. But every aspect of life. How many of you guys were good drivers when you, when you first got in the car? How many of you have learned some lessons along the way? And it has actually fundamentally uh, affected or changed the way that you drive an automobile. This is, this is life in Christ. This is it. This is Jesus forgiving me for where I make mistakes. Him growing me up in those areas through those mistakes, as well as through no mistakes, growing, growing us up as individuals. And it never stops. If that's true, if you love your spouse, should you love them more tomorrow? Because every day is supposed to be teaching us something. And if we have the fundamental foundation of Christianity that we're springing from, then our relationships, our relationships not just with our spouses, our relationships with church members and friends and our kids, our relationships with everybody, those things are very much affected by how much we're willing to progress when it comes to those individuals. How many of you know people that there are some things you can't say to them? And you know some people that there are, some, that, that there are those things that you can say to them. You guys have different friends like that? Imagine that. You guys had experiences in life and learned your lessons and you're actually functioning that way. That's Christianity in a nutshell. We continue to learn things. We continue to realize things. These things fit. And honestly, the more stuff that I learn, the more the picture becomes prettier. But again, the more I realize that I don't know. Verse 7 says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and, com and, uh, and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. This is an interesting concept. You all are partakers of grace with me. The Apostle Paul is pointing out in this 
that they are experiencing the exact same thing that he is. He may be experiencing his in the form of behind bars, but they're experiencing theirs in the form of scatterbrainedness. Pressure created that, amen? And it was the same pressure that put the Apostle Paul in prison, amen? So he's drawn this line. You all are partakers of grace with me. It doesn't matter where we're, whether we're an individual who's in prison in a foreign country or you're somebody who's living free in the United States. Which one of those two people are left alone by the devil? He don't care where you're at. He don't care where you're from. He don't care where you're going. He finds a weakness, he works it. And if it wasn't for grace, there'd be no hope for, all, for any of us. Think about this. You ever see two Christians get into it with each other and literally walk away from each other mad, part ways with an attitude? You ever see that happen? My lifetime, I've seen it a lot. <laughs> and I'm sure that if you spent any time in a church, you've seen it too. Where is grace in the middle of that? Gone. Non-existent. It's not there. Because genuine grace provides you and me both the opportunity to grow. You may make a mistake, and that mistake may even hurt me. But is it worth it if the opportunity, if God takes advantage of the opportunity to help that person grow? Should be. It should be so worth it if that's what God... So you start looking at things from a perspective of we're all in this together. We all have something to do with each other when it comes to the encouragement we need, when it comes to the encouragement that they need, when it comes to the strength we need, the strength they need. Partners in Christ is what a church family is. We make a commitment to be unified to one another, but we know we're all made up of faulty human material. I mean, if if I hurt you, I don't want to hurt you. If you think I want to hurt you, I am strongly going to suggest you find a new church. Because you think I am a terrible person if you think that I would do anything to intentionally hurt you. And the fact is, if anything ever come to my mind, or somebody come to me and said, hey, you hurt so-and-so, I guarantee you I'm going to hunt so-and-so down, and I'm going to make sure that they know that I did not intend to hurt them, and I am sorry. But could you imagine what church would be like if individuals extended grace back and forth equally? What's the proverb? Anyone... Oh, don't talk too much, because you will eventually say the wrong thing. That's a proverb. That's, that's wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Don't say too much, you will eventually say the wrong thing. But the truth is, we have the ability to be to each other what the Apostle Paul's being to them, and what they do come to find out that the Apostle Paul uh, is to them. Epaphroditus. This is a story that tells, that tells about Epaphroditus, a man who, out of concern for the Apostle Paul, delivering word of the conditions and what was going on in Philippi, as well as a gift that the church had given together, had walked 600 miles from Philippi to Rome, almost died on the way, didn't turn around and go back home, continued the journey until he got to Paul. 
This letter was in response to Epaphroditus' visit. Could you imagine? Do you love me enough to walk 600 miles while you've got flu A? (laughs) Got that on camera, don't we? (laughs) What's that one passage of scripture that talks about their folly will be known to all? (laughs) We are partakers of the same grace. And one established, one established truth that we have to come to. You don't have a right to hold a grudge any more than I do. Because if anybody has a right to hold a grudge, Jesus has a right to hold a grudge. And honestly, he could justify a grudge any day of the week. Could you imagine living 33 and a half years on this planet, spending the last three and a half years, individuals chasing you down, wanting to murder you for what it is that you said, what you said that you're going to be. You get kicked throughout all of history. And now all of a sudden, what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be what he was to us. Because the fact is, I caused a greater offense to him. If anybody has the right, it's him. But we don't have that right. If you hurt me and you want to hurt me, that'll eventually be found out. You're welcome to go hurt somebody else somewhere else, or I don't know. As long as you're hurting me, you're not hurting someone else. I don't know. The fact is, if we're going to be a church and, and actually function as a church, and we're going to trust each other as a church, we have to be church members. And by church members, I'm not talking about a piece of paper and a folder over there. I'm talking about us being individuals who are willing to admit, first of all, we're going to make mistakes, and everybody else is too. And second of all, regardless of the cost, forgiveness is not a suggestion. We're either on this planet to help people get from where they are to where God wants them to be. To help them, not to make them get there, but to help them, point them in the right direction, so to speak. How are we effective in pointing people in the right direction if we can't even be effective in seeing from a distance what God's trying to accomplish, what the potential is for the whole thing to blow up, and then picking the right one? I know it's... I. I, Try it, folks. This is simple. I just want you to try it sometime. You stop, you eat somewhere after, after church today, you go into a restaurant somewhere after church today, I want you to smile at your waitress. Guys, be careful. <laughs> Don't be telling your wife a preacher told you to stare at the waitress. But her attitude, it's going to have everything to do with yours. She could have the most terrible day on the planet, or he, and you could be the bright spot for them. But we don't pay attention to the fact that she may have had a rough day and we could be a bright spot. She didn't give me enough ice in my tea. I'm cutting. That's it, tip. She gets a dollar. She does it one more time, I'm going to give her a penny. Lady's making like $2.75 an hour. 
the tips is what's making up the salary. It's not like they're making minimum wage and they get to keep their tips on top of that. That's not how this works. Had no idea what what they dealt with this morning ever since they got up. You have no idea what they dealt with when they got at work that day. They may have dealt with three times the amount of baloney that you dealt with that day. But because of the fact that we don't think about the fact that our actions and what we say have very real consequences and very real effects on people, we have to train to become those individuals who are thinking about that, who have the ability to think about, how can I strengthen my relationship with my wife? I'm telling you, men, don't say that you've been at it too long and there is no way because I guarantee you that there are encyclopedia fools of things that you could do to improve your relationship with your spouse. For whatever reason, we just don't do it. Maybe you're like me and you're a hillbilly and there's not a romantic bone in your body. Go outside and pick a weed with a bloom on the top of it and go, look, honey, I love you. <laughs> we just aren't thoughtful that way. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm a hillbilly. Ask my wife. If there's one thing that she's suffered in, it was the fact that I'm just not good at doing the whole romantic thing. One of my daughters, I'll let them tell you which one, go out on uh, on their first serious date, first serious date as a couple. Guy's taking them down, showing the stars, giving her a picture of the stars and playing a song that he wrote. And I'm sitting there going, I could have done that. <laughs> Got dad and Matt in trouble at dance, right? <laughs> Look, the, the fact is, we know what God wants from us as a church. I, I believe everybody in here knows, at least to some extent, what God wants from us as a church. Now, that doesn't mean that we just fill positions and everybody needs to just, they need to rub their hands together, warm them up, and get themselves moving. That's not what that means. It means if we're going to perform the function that God wants us to perform, then everything in the engine has to be functional. And that means occasionally we're going to have a part that needs attention. Right? In order for the machine to run smoothly, we have the ability to find people that, that just, just by walking, if you pay attention, I can look across this room right now and I guarantee you, I won't do it, but I guarantee you that I can point at people that I know are dealing with something right now. And I mean something outside of the ordinary. And not because somebody let me in on it, but because whether you like it or not, you're screaming. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those of you that are in here that know what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about, right? You can't, can you, when, when you walk in the house at night, can you tell your mom's mad? If she's mad, can you tell she's mad? Yeah. Can you tell if she's happy? Does that affect... <laughs> Listen, listen, stick with me. Does that affect the way you deal with her? Yes. That's my point. My point is you have the ability when your mom is upset to go home and to wrap your arms around here and her and say, Mommy, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. I love you. And she'll just melt a little. May not take all of her problems away, but I guarantee you, you'll get a more positive response from that than you will going, Oh, crud, mom's in a bad mood. Go to the room, lock the door. <laughs> Life's about choices, and the choices that we make have benefits and consequences, and the choices that we make are important. But it's, it's really important at this stage of the game for all of our lives, for us to be individuals who are ready to extend that grace to each other. 
Because if we aren't, we create issues. We create issues in our lives. We create issues in other people's lives. And even though people may, may never be able to put a name on it because they can't fully see it, it lies there under the surface. And it will undermine everything that Jesus is trying to do in that person's life. So yeah, be careful. But this relationship with Jesus, it's a relationship that's supposed to extend to everyone else around us. So how do I get here from here to there? People, man, I wish that I wish that I'd uh, accomplish as much as so and so in their spiritual life. Truth is, if you ask anybody who is used as the example in that in that statement, they will tell you about all the bumps in the road and the walls that had to be knocked down and the mud puddles that they had to drive through. They're going to tell you about it was no cakewalk getting from where you are to where they are. It was no it was no cake cakewalk. So be careful what you wish for and be careful what you ask God for. How many of you guys have ever prayed the whatever it takes prayer? I had uh, I had somebody come to me. This is quite a few quite a, quite a few years ago. Nah, I ain't gonna share that. Let me close with this though. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all. It's not right to feel any other way about anybody. If I genuinely care about you, I'm absolutely going to pray for you. And I'm not only going to pray for you, but I'm going to extend you whatever grace and mercy that you need to be able to make it to the next level. People aren't pretty. They have good traits. They have bad traits. I've yet to meet anyone who had such bad traits that Jesus couldn't save them. I was one of the naysayers. You will never get that person to believe in you. <laughs> that is not going to happen. That dude gives their life to Jesus, and it's like, you learn after a while to stop saying those things. Because Jesus will put egg on your face pretty quickly. So as I close, keep this in mind. We're about to go through Vacation Bible School, for example. I'm going to put this into context with you, okay? How much does one person's job at Vacation Bible School, how much does all the other responsibilities depend on each individual doing their, carrying out their responsibilities? 100%, right? Doesn't matter what classroom you're teaching, doesn't matter where you're at, doesn't matter, um, doesn't matter how many kids you have, none of that stuff matters. You got a responsibility, right? And everybody during Vacation Bible School, they do such a perfect bang-up job. They stay on schedule. They don't get behind, which pushes everybody else behind. They don't get scatterbrained because they have too many kids in their classroom. Of course they do. And of course schedules get backed up. And of course things go wrong. How are we going to respond to it? The extension of grace extension of mercy, and the wish, the genuine desire, and the wish for peace for that individual who's scatterbrained. That's where we should be. Because that's where the relationship is strengthened, and we can continue to focus on the things that Jesus wants us to. 
If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, or maybe never followed through in believer's baptism um, after you had given your, your life to him. Today's the day. Now's the time. The Holy Spirit convicts you. Come up here. Let me know that you want to be saved or that you've been saved and wanted to be baptized. Um, I can't save you, but I will take whatever time necessary to uh, explain to you the one that can. If you're a believer, I know how hard life is. Uh, I know firsthand how hard life is. I may not know exactly what your circumstances are, but I know the conflict that Christianity brings into the life of an individual in this world. We're going to make mistakes. Be ready to forgive each other, to love each other through it, and to stay focused on what Jesus wants us to. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.